Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We've got another great show today. One of the best players in the NFL gets cut. A former player takes shots at his former quarterback. Joel Klatt had some shocking remarks about college football realignment, OTA offseason storylines. We've got teams that we think could go from worst to first in their division, plus draft grades for the NFC North. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, man, as we get closer and closer to the dog days of summer, we know who's going to be in the NBA Finals, so that's going to be closing down soon, and we're going to be get closer and closer to football. But we're going to have a lot of fun, including this episode and, and for the future. I can't wait. Yeah, man, you're 100% right. We got OTAs going on. Training camp is right around the corner. It is the dog days, but there's always so much to talk about when you're talking about NFL and college football. Always great storylines. Always a blast to break it down for you guys, PGF Nation, and always a blast to have you on the show like always, Alex. Before we jump in, man, how was your Memorial Day? How was how was the time off? Hey, I enjoyed my time. Thank you for asking. I enjoyed my time. I spent some time with uh, family, but I was also in Atlanta. I'm, I live in North Carolina, so I drove down to Atlanta to handle some entertainment business, so I enjoyed my time down there having a lot of partying, great barbecues, great food. And I'm half a vegan. We can get into a whole other episode about that later. But I'm half a vegan. I enjoyed it. Shout out to Slutty Vegan in Atlanta. And great, great food. And yes, I did say Slutty Vegan. You can look it up. They have great food. You know, I haven't spent any time in Atlanta. I had a friend that traveled to Atlanta. As you guys know, I'm up here in the Pacific Northwest. I had a friend that went to Atlanta for a football game, for a Georgia football game last fall, and it was his first time being out there, and he said it was amazing. He said the the bars and breweries, the restaurants, he just had a great time. So it's going to be one of those places I need to check out eventually for sure. As you guys probably know or remember from prior episodes or maybe on the website, Alex is a New York guy but lives in North Carolina and is extremely well-traveled. This guy has been everywhere and around the world, so always fun to hear those stories. But there's some stories right now, Alex, in the NFL. One big story that really broke was the Arizona Cardinals releasing five-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Now, the Cardinals as a team are going to absorb $22.6 million in a dead cap hit after his release. This is a guy who had 1,000-plus yards receiving in six of his first eight NFL seasons. Now, he came up light in the last two seasons, mostly because of health issues and a suspension for PEDs. But Hopkins came out and said he desires stability more than anything. And quite frankly, after playing in Houston and Arizona, I can't blame him, Alex. Now, reports state that he sat out the final two games of the 2022 season even though he was healthy. So clearly he didn't want to stay with the Cardinals. Yeah, and good for DeAndre. I mean, he went through whatever was going on in Houston with Bill O'Brien, where he ended up getting traded for, I don't know, a bucket of screws. 
<laughs> to go to uh to go to the Cardinals. He had some success there, but then unfortunately he got hit with the uh, I believe there was a PED suspension and he did have some lingering injuries. So we didn't get to see the whole thing. And then plus Arizona as a culture and as a infrastructure is just terrible. So I'm happy that he was able to get out. I'm very surprised that they just released him as opposed to even trading him. I'm, I'm sure a fifth round pick would have been easy for anybody to trade for, but perhaps they didn't want to deal with that contract. So now he's free and clear to sign wherever he wants to sign. And I know we're going to get into a few teams, but what are your thoughts? Like, where, where are you looking at? Where do you think he's going to go? Or what do you think is the best fit, rather? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Alex. And I think you're right. I was really surprised that nobody was able to make a trade for this guy. We know that when he's healthy and when he's right, he's one of the top five, maybe top three wide receivers in the NFL. The contract, I think, was really what hung teams up. Really surprised me. I'm with you. Really surprised me that they were willing to just cut him and take that dead cap hit. That's probably the most shocking part of this whole story. I'm hearing so many different reports, Alex. Bills, Chiefs, Lions, Browns, Cowboys, Ravens, Panthers, Texans. I mean, there's probably half the NFL have been reported as being possible uh, landing spots, I should say, for DeAndre Hopkins. I think the contract's a big issue. If I'm DeAndre Hopkins, I understand wanting to get paid. You just saw Odell Beckham Jr. get a big contract, granted a one-year deal, but a big contract from the Baltimore Ravens. DeAndre Hopkins has got to be looking at that saying, look, I'm a lot better player than OBJ. I deserve that kind of money as well. He's not wrong. He probably does deserve that kind of money, but is the money going to be the hangup here? Is it going to be the reason that you don't end up playing for a really good team? If I'm Hopkins, I go to a team like the Chiefs or the Bills, a team that, look, they can't afford to pay him that kind of money, but maybe you go for a big incentive-based deal and try to get a ring. Those were the two teams that everybody has been talking about. Well, actually, those were also the same two teams that were involved prior to his release in regards to trading for him. But let me give you two teams, and I'm basing this strictly off of the current cap space because when i looked at and i'm sure teams can move around because the bills only have 1.4 million in cap space and the chiefs actually only have 652,000. so i said let me look in just and of course money can always be moved and restructured but i said let me look at this and take a look and see given the current cap space where i would go and the number one team i came up with was the jaguars they have 11 million in cap space you have an ascend you have an ascending quarterback you're getting calvin ridley you resigned evan ingram you have uh, Zay Jones. You have Zay Jones. You have Christian Kirk that can Christian Kirk can slide into the slot. Zay Jones is not technically shouldn't technically be a starter, but he was just forced into that role. But he's a good third or fourth on the depth chart and a great locker room guy. And he's got his money, so he's not going to complain. But can you imagine being able to line up and give Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins, and Evan Ingram? The other interesting team that I mentioned. The Cowboys, who now, after they cut Zeke, they have $11 million under the cap. Now, if he wants to go play there, that gives you Dak, along with CeeDee Lamb, along with DeAndre Hopkins, along with Brandon Cooks, along with Michael Gallup. That is a formidable passing offense, and it'll take a lot of pressure off that running game that's as standing right now. They only have Tony Pollard, so they're going to have to do some things there. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys have a conversation. So my two teams would be the Jaguars and the Cowboys. 
Man, those are really interesting. The Jaguars pick, I think, makes a ton of sense because you're going to a team that's on the rise, a team that we know made the playoffs last year, won a playoff game, is moving in the right direction now with Doug Peterson. You've got a really good young quarterback who's coming into his own. They added Calvin Ridley, which is going to take a lot of pressure off DeAndre Hopkins. If you line up Calvin Ridley and D-Hop, I think you've got two really elite receivers They would have a really nice offense. I think that could be a great fit. There's definitely, at this point, a chance that Jimmy Garoppolo will never play for the Raiders. Apparently, when Garoppolo signed with Las Vegas in March, he technically failed his physical due to an injured left foot, but the Raiders gave him an injury waiver and signed him anyway. Now, the Raiders haven't paid Garoppolo anything yet, and they might not have to pay him at all. The team is apparently allowed to cut him at no cost until he passes a physical. Once he passes a physical, Garoppolo will still need to play in at least one game without re-injuring his foot before the rest of the money becomes guaranteed. Now, the Raiders, as we know, they moved off Derek Carr, then they signed Garoppolo, who has been an injured quarterback who might not ever play for them, Alex. It's not like the Raiders didn't know about his injury history. The guy can't stay healthy, but the Raiders signed him anyway. Now this whole thing, it might just blow up in their face. Alex, this is starting to look like a show in Las Vegas. You know, I'm a Nick fan as well. Not to change this to basketball. If you remember 2007 when everybody was a free agent, everybody was trying to get the LeBrons, the Wades, the Knicks signed Amari Stoudemire, and they had to sign him wave, with him waving an injury clause because they could not find an insurance company that would cover his knees, but they still gave him the hundred and something odd million dollar contract. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's me and the teams that I choose because this is nuts. This does not make any sense. This is not good business. Now, it's good business that perhaps you protected yourself against this same situation, but this was the same similar foolish construct a contract you gave Derek Carr where you could cut him a week after. What is it with our GM and these weird, odd contracts to just get these people in the building? It does not make any sense. The business model, it's confusing to me. I don't know what the, I mean, you know what? No wonder Devante kind of lashed out a little bit, even though it may not have been as big as it was, but no wonder he probably lashed out. Like, what are you doing? What are we doing? I mean, I would simply, that's the question that I have if I'm uh, someone of the ilk of Devontae Adams or even Max Crosby. The thing about this quarterback situation, it's likely that the Raiders won't begin searching for a quarterback until July, but only if Garoppolo's foot recovery isn't progressing. So there's a lot of ifs here. If he, if he looks like he's doing better, if he looks like he's healthy and he's going to be okay, and I think they expect that he will by then, no guarantee though. But this situation is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. So ex-teammate of Russell Wilson, K.J. Wright, came out in the media and questioned if Wilson can handle Sean Payton's coaching style. On NFL Network's Good Morning Football, K.J. Wright said, quote, I heard how he runs his meetings. After a loss, if you played bad, Sean Payton will let you know loud and clear how he feels about you. That's the question. Can Russ handle the critique, the harshness, the, hey, you have to do better, and I'm calling you out in front of the entire football team. I'm sure Nathaniel Hackett 
wasn't a Sean Payton type of personality. He went on to say, quote, because for 10 years, Coach Carroll did a good job of, I'm not going to say protecting Russ, but he shielded him like, hey, the defense is going to be the lead dog. You're going to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. What did you make of these comments from KJ Wright, Alex? I, I when I read the whole his whole quote, and he was saying that this is the biggest trade and the best trade, in, you know, in the league history and everything like that. I thought that was probably a little bit of hyperbole, being that we know what happened with the Herschel Walker trade and what came out of it and how it ended up uh, being instrumental in that three ring run that the Cowboys had. So that that's the first thing I thought about. I was like, okay, there's a little bit of a hyperbole here. Maybe he's just trying to get a sound bite out. The other part is he's right about Russ and how he can react to Sean Payton. But I think Russ, the one thing we do know about Russ, he's very even keeled at all times. He doesn't get rattled or anything. The, anything that we've ever heard about Russ and a coach has not been anything that's been real. There's been a few things that have come out, but for the most part, he's buttoned up and tight-lipped and kind of falls in line. And I think Russ also understands what Sean Payton means here because it's now going to be on him. It's not. They're not going to blame Sean. If this doesn't work, they're not going to blame Sean. They're going to blame, oh, it's really you because we brought in this guy who we hold in high regard and it's still not working. So it's not him, it's you. So I think there's a lot of understanding that Russ has. And he's he's a person that is self-aware of what's happening, regardless of what it looks like on the output of when he talks to people. But looking at the entire quote and when he was talking about the trade and everything, yes, Seattle did hit with Charles Cross and Devin Weatherspoon. Well, we assume Devin Weatherspoon and things like that. Things look really good on paper, especially last year's draft. Those guys really outperformed what they probably thought. So the trade right now is leaning that the Seahawks have won. But if Denver wins, may, not necessarily a Super Bowl, but if they start going on a run and they start gaining momentum, this trade is going to even out, and it's not going to look as bad as KJ Wright portrayed it to be. Yeah, the comments are interesting because I think it kind of goes back to a narrative that we've seen in the news and a lot of different reports about how many of his former teammates just didn't respect this guy. And that was part of the storyline in Denver last year was how he doesn't connect with his teammates. They don't have his back. He's not a locker room leader. All this stuff about him and just not meshing. But what you hit on there with the coaching, I think, is key because when you've got a rookie head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who clearly was in over his head, I think that much is clear. He becomes the guy that they say, okay, you know what? We ushered him out. Now we went and got one of the best coaches in NFL history, one of the best offensive minds this league has seen in decades. No more excuses. Russell Wilson has got to be better. He's got to live up to that contract. He's got to live up to that deal now because you're right. No one's going to point the finger at Sean Payton if this thing goes sideways. Nathaniel Hackett might not have been a great coach, but on a five-yard out route and you throw a ball into the dirt, that's not on Nathaniel Hackett. That some, some of this was on Russell Wilson. This guy made a lot of just terrible throws, and there was a lot of different times last year where he had guys open and was making poor reads, making bad decisions with the football, or just straight, plain, missing, wide-open guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. We're going to jump more into the Broncos here in a minute, but I thought these comments were really telling in a lot of different ways. College football conference realignment has been and continues to be a major storyline 
Texas and Oklahoma, they leave the Big 12 for the SEC. Then UCLA and USC leave the Pac-12 for the Big 10. It's left everyone speculating what's the next domino to fall. Oregon and Washington to the Big 10 reports that several ACC teams were thinking of leaving the league. Reports that the four corner schools could be heading to the Big 12. It's been a crazy ongoing story all offseason, but now Fox College football analyst Joel Klatt came out and said this about realignment. He said, quote, you know what's next for us in college football. I told you this is never going to stop, right? I wasn't lying. This is never going to stop because it's been about who can we add to increase value so that we can all make more money. Well, pretty soon it's going to start being about who can we drop? I know people think I'm crazy and look at me kind of sideways. That's absolutely coming because, again, there's not an unlimited source of money, and the money then has to get smarter, end quote. Alex, these kind of comments I think were really shocking because I think a lot of people are thinking addition. Everyone's looking at these big conferences and saying, who can they add? Who can they add? When a respected college football analyst like Joel Klatt says, it's not just about who's going to get added, but who's going to get dropped, I think is really interesting. And that last line that he said there, that one really stands out about the money because adding schools like Oregon, Clemson, or Florida State, that makes sense. They add value to any league. But at what point do these leagues say, you know what, Rutgers and Missouri and Vanderbilt, you don't add any value to our league. And these other schools we can add, well, they do. So we're going to drop you. Right. I mean, and I said this earlier, what Joe Class has been saying this, maybe it's just a little bit of a slow news cycle. So it popped when he actually said it again. But he's been saying this for a while. He's been warning us that, hey, there's going to be a big shakeup in the next two to three years across all of college football. You're going to just literally going to see realignment across all all the power five schools, specifically the power five schools. And it's all about money. Who can I add? Who can I bring in? Who can I put here? Who can I put there to maximize the dollars? Now, if we just talk about the SEC and kind of put them to the side for a moment, but if we just talk about the other, the other power four moving, bringing USC and UCLA over to the big 10, obviously going to be mean more money. You're going to put USC is a huge media market, bringing that LA market. That's a huge media market, a Michigan versus USC and Ohio state versus UCLA are going to be big, huge numbers. So we know what that means for the TV contracts. We know what that means for bowl games and everything. So I understand it from a business standpoint. I would like to hear Joe Clatt talk about it from a football standpoint of what we see on the field and how it affects what the downstream effect is going across from the field. How does that affect scouting? Those are the things that I care about because I understand business and I understand that this is a smart move for business. But now I'd like to talk about the other side. I want to hear about the other side. What does this do for recruiting? Does this now open up Ohio State to Los Angeles? And does this open up USC to Michigan? Like, what does it really do for what we see on the actual field? Yeah, there's so many questions. There's so many moving parts with college football right now. And this is obviously a story that we're going to continue to monitor. And as anything breaks, obviously, we're going to share it with you guys. But the thing that you hit on there, and you said this word multiple times, business, 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 because let's face it, college football is big business. 
It's not just student athletes anymore. This is basically pro sports now. Whether we like it or not, that's the case because the NIL has changed everything. The contracts, the TV deals, all the big money that is being pumped into the sport and, and has been for a while, don't get me wrong, but now it's above board. Now it's going directly into the players' pockets legally. We've got guys that are coming into the NFL and they're already millionaires. So it's a different game. It's a different era and it's changing everything. I think it's only a matter of time before all the things that Joel Klatt is talking about come to fruition. I think the Big Ten and the SEC are in an arms race. And I think it's only a matter of time before they gobble up the rest of these big brands from the Pac-12 to the ACC. They gobble up these teams like Florida State, Oregon, Washington, Clemson, Miami, all these big brands that are still lingering on the East and West Coast. They're going to gobble these schools up. They're going to create two super conferences and it's getting closer and closer to college football looking like the NFC and AFC. I think one of the most intriguing storylines this offseason is Sean Payton, the new head coach of the Denver Broncos, and what it means for this team. As we know, they came up really light of the big expectations they had last year. Now, this is a guy who's always run a West Coast offense with an emphasis on running backs in the screen game. But Alex, I think that we're going to see a shift in the way that Sean Payton designs this offense and the way that he calls plays. I don't think this offense is going to look like what we saw in New Orleans because I think it's going to shift more to a power run first offense. And here's why. They've added former San Francisco right tackle Mike McGlinchey and former Baltimore guard Ben Powers. These are guys who are known as some of the best run blockers in the league. Big physical guys that you can use in a power run scheme. Now, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, I think on paper, this is a pairing that we'd expect to be successful. But Wilson, as we know, is coming off his worst season in the NFL by far. So how much of it was coaching? How much of it was Russ just playing past his prime? We talked about this a minute ago. How much of this was Nathaniel Hackett? How much of it was Russell Wilson? We're going to find out. And this is a storyline that I'm so fascinated with. This is a team that I'm going to be really paying attention to, especially early in the year. I think Sean Payton is going to try to recreate what Russ had in his early part of his career in Seattle, a strong run game, a great defense for him to lean on so that he doesn't have to be the star. Yeah, I can, I can agree to that. I mean, just looking at what he's going to be able to do, hopefully with Javon, a healthy Javante Williams, we know they added Samaji P. Ryan as well. So he, and we know Samaji P. Ryan is more of a hammer. And Javante is your bell is your bell cow back. So it'll be interesting to see with the new addition on the offensive line. And then also, let's also remember Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, and now you add in Marvin Mims, and maybe he can figure out something for KJ Hamler. That's probably the most talented wide receiver group that he's ever had as a head coach as well. So it'll be interesting to see what he can design up with that. But one of I, I guess my biggest one that I'm following right now that I'm looking at happens to be. Deshaun Watson in the Cleveland Browns. I'm interested to see because I think this coach can possibly be on the hot seat, number one. Number two, this team spent a lot of money over the past three years, even though they did have Baker, but loading up on that defensive backfield, loading up at linebacker, loading up on that offensive line. And now they need to see it all come together now that they have Amari Cooper 
And we get to see what can they do now with a full offseason. Deshaun Watson, for him, maybe feeling that he's moved past the indiscretions that happened all for the past two years and now being able just to get solely back to football. So that's probably the biggest one that I'm following this offseason. Yeah, no doubt about it, Alex. Deshaun Watson and the Browns, this is a really interesting storyline. Now, despite Kevin Stefanski's reputation as as an offensive mind before joining the Browns, he really hasn't been able to showcase it in Cleveland. Whether it was working with Baker Mayfield or Deshaun Watson, Stefanski's offensive schemes have really failed to capitalize the abilities of these guys, especially the quarterbacks. Even with the addition of wide receiver Elijah Moore, who's a solid but I wouldn't say exceptional player, the Browns' offense mostly is going to be the same from last year. And as we know, Watson struggled with this offense. So I don't think there's that much reason for me to think that he's going to perform that much better. Now, I know he was coming off of a huge break, and maybe there was just a lot of rust there, but this guy was bad. I mean, there's no way around it. That stretched towards the end of the year. He was one of the worst starters in the league. And this is a team, like you mentioned, after moving multiple draft picks and signing him to that $230 million deal, the pressure is going to get cranked up a notch in Cleveland this year because this fan base is going to turn on this team if they underperform again. Alex, another storyline that I am fascinated with is Bill O'Brien and Mac Jones in the New England Patriots. Now, Bill O'Brien comes over to New England, or I should say comes back to New England, and he's going to look to revive the quarterback position after what was a promising rookie year for Mac Jones. Last year, the drop-off was somewhat shocking for Mac Jones in the passing game. And I, I say somewhat shocking because I think most of us Really didn't expect to hear Joe Judge and Matt Patricia were going to be taking over the offense last year. It was a train wreck. Now, even Bailey Zappi had a brief stint as a starter last year. The Pats absolutely had to make a change, and they did so bringing back offense coordinator Bill O'Brien, a guy with a proven track record, a good OC, a good play caller. I expect a better year for Mac Jones. Now, he's a limited quarterback. I get that. But the question is now... How much can Bill O'Brien enhance a quarterback that really depends heavily on pass protection and that precise timing rather than a quarterback who can move and make plays off script? How do these guys mesh? How does this system work in New England? How much of an improvement are we going to see from Mac Jones in this offense? Well, the first thing I think we're going to see improvement on is just a simple play calling, number one. And I think Mac Jones, and and I believe we had this conversation before, Brad, his nickname at Alabama was McEnroe because when that nickname was given to him by Nick Saban, simply because he wanted to know what he was doing and why he was doing it. And if you didn't give him that information, there became a little bit of a back and forth that was going on because he wants to understand every single part of what he's doing holistically. So he knows this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it, and this is what I'm going to do if I don't see that it works. He wanted to understand every single step of the play call so that he understands why it was being done. If he had a different idea, he can have that conversation and back and forth with an offensive coordinator, which he did at Alabama. However, when you had what we had last year with the Pages, he wasn't able to have that. He was having that with McDaniels, which is why you saw him take a step or two and look good under Josh McDaniels' offense, but he did not have that same communication with this current regime. So I think we're going to get back to seeing Mac Jones. And I don't think he has a very high ceiling. I mean, me personally, I'm looking at him a ceiling 
anywhere between Alex Smith and Andy Dalton. Put put whichever one you want higher over the other. So I think he has a very low ceiling. However, he still wants to succeed in this league. So I think what we're going to see is we're going to see him more calm, making more deliberate throws, looking like the quarterback we expected to hit his ceiling a lot quicker than everybody else simply because it's a little bit lower and he was the most ready coming out of college. I think the Patriots offense is going to be better next year. I, I really expect them to take a big jump. Now, I don't expect them to instantly become the Kansas City Chiefs or anything like that. But I do think this is going to be an offense that's going to be able to move the ball, put up more points. And with that defense in the running game, I think this is a team that might be sneaky competitive in that AFC East. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord grape and lemon lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. There's always a few teams every year, it seems like, that go from the bottom to the top 
from worst to first in their division. I thought we'd try to pick a couple teams that we think could make that transition this season. Who do you think goes from fourth to first this year, Alex? Well, I'm going to go with low-hanging fruit first in Denver uh, for the obvious reasons. Uh, again, like I said, this is low-hanging fruit. You bring in a new coach. You bring in a Super Bowl-winning coach. You bring in a well-respected coach. And you add on Ben Powers, like you said, and Mike McGlinchey. So now there's a that line has gotten even more, a lot more stronger. You have what you have in the defensive backfield with Patrick Sertain, and we know what that defense did last year. So if we expect that defense to do the same thing again, why wouldn't we put them in position with a newly hired offensive coach to now put in the correct play calling to work with Russell Wilson so that we get the best Russell Wilson? And I think Denver would be the first team that came to mind when we thought about doing this segment that I think Denver would be one of those teams that would go from worst to first. Kansas City is a big roadblock for them. The Chargers are definitely not a pushover. We've talked about the Raiders. They're kind of a mess. But this is a tough division, so this one might be a little tougher to go from the bottom to the top, but I would not be surprised if they were in the mix. One of the teams I'm circling, Alex, is the Chicago Bears. Now, the NFC North, unlike the AFC West that we just talked about, it feels a lot more wide open. The Lions took a big step forward last year, but are they for real? I think that's a legitimate question. Now, the Vikings feel like a team that overachieved last year and is thinking rebuild. That's something we've talked about on recent episodes. Jordan Love for the Packers, big question mark for them under center. So why not the Bears? Maybe the Bears are one of those teams that can shock some people and climb to the top of this division. You've got Justin Fields, an electric, young, dual-threat quarterback, coming into year three. Can he take another step forward? And now he's got some legitimate receivers. He's going to be throwing to DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, and Robert Tanyan. So he's got some tight ends as well. They've also upgraded the offensive line. And Fields is a guy that I think, like I said, he's going to need to take a step forward and be more consistent. The defense is a big question mark. I get that. They're going to have to improve, but they do have some talented young players, especially in the secondary. And like I said, in a division where there's no real heavy favorite, maybe the Bears shock some people. Ryan Pauls, they did a great job in offseason on paper and what they added offensively, what they added defensively, what they moved around and did to say, hey, we're going to give this kid the best opportunity to succeed in this offense. I'm hoping the best for Justin Fields. As you know, I have an Ohio State narrative. They have never in the history of that school put a successful NFL quarterback in the league. If you have time, Google it and go look at the quarterbacks they put in. There. Probably the best one is probably Mike Tomczak. So, I'm looking to see if they can finally get over the hump. They also have him and CJ Stroud, but we're looking at the Bears right now. But I like what they did with the Bears. I like what the GM did. They were very aggressive in going out what they needed to get. They put a good team around them. They hopefully fixed that offensive line or at least strengthened it where he can have some time to look at some things and then find succession in, in making his throws because we've yet to see him do that because he's been running for his life since he's been in the league. So, I'm not mad at that, and that is a weak division that we can talk about, but it, it, they can definitely make a jump, and we have seen this is the NFL, and parity is king. And we know what is it every year there's five to seven teams that we have new that are in the playoffs. They could be one of them. Another team that I want to bring up is the Jets. Now, that defense, now the quarterback, because that was the narrative, 
all last season if they only had a quarterback where to the point they were Mike White was their savior. <laughs> so now you actually have a capable quarterback. Now let's see what you can do because I believe Robert Sala is on the hot seat this year because this team was too good last year to miss the playoffs and they didn't do anything to help themselves throughout that process, even though we know that Zach Wilson is appearing to be a bust. But however, a lot of people in that building felt that they should have been playing for the play, excuse me, playing in the playoffs, but unfortunately they were not. But with what they have now, I'm interested to see if they can go ahead and take that leap, that next leap, as I will say it now, and then we, I'll tease it now. We can get into it in a later episode because the Bills are not going to make the playoffs this year. So I think this division is wide open for the Jets who can take a step with this new quarterback and make a lot of noise in that division. Yeah, I'm with you, Alex. I think Robert Sala's seat is definitely heating up, and I think the pressure just got dialed up a notch when you bring in a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Big expectations for this team. Can they live up to him? You're right. Everyone looked at this team and said, look, the defense is one of the best units in football. They've got a strong running game. They've got some nice playmakers on the outside if they only had a quarterback. Like you mentioned, now we're going to find out. Does Aaron Rodgers still have enough gas left in the tank? Is there a good enough team around him for their, for them to be a contender? Now, a team that I think a lot of people might not be thinking about is the Atlanta Falcons. Now, the Falcons signed Calais Campbell, a six-time Pro Bowler, and Atlanta took steps to really strengthen that struggling defense by acquiring some really notable players. Not just Campbell, they added Jesse Bates, David Onyemata, Bud Dupree, Caden Ellis, and others. So they've made some moves here. And on paper, this new defensive lineup, I think should be better than the one that struggled in the previous years. A key factor for the Falcons turnaround is going to be the performance of second year quarterback Desmond Ritter. He's going to have to take a step forward here. Only started four games, but with Atlanta's run-heavy approach, Bajan Robinson in the draft, we've talked about him, one of the best running back prospects we've seen in years. Plus, they've got a 1,000-yard rusher, Tyler Algier, coming back after a really nice season last year. So they're going to have a formidable backfield duo here that they can lean on. Now, like I said, Ritter is really the big question mark, but he's also going to have two top 10 picks to throw to, Drake London and Kyle Pitts at the tight end position. Both these guys are explosive, big targets. So the fact that they could compete in the NFC South division, I think might be realistic. This is a division that might just be as wide open as any in the NFL. Yeah, I, I agree that similar to the, the uh, AFC South, it's a very weak division. I think it's up for grabs. Anybody can get it. I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are high on the Saints, but hey, that Atlanta running attack with B. John Robinson, that can be formidable and that helps out that defense a lot. And we know they need a lot of help on the defensive side. So I'm interested to see, I'm, I'm not mad. And But the, the key to this whole entire thing is Desmond Ritter. And let's see if he can be a guy because Taylor Heineken, we know what he's been able to do when he's gotten on the field. So I, I'm not sure of how short a leash there may be for Desmond Ritter. But on paper, this team can make some noise because nobody thought they were going to do anything last year. And they went 7-10 and 10 and were in it all the way up until the end of, I think, the last, to the last three weeks. They were a team that was being talked about. So I can see your point there. We've got four divisions down. NFC North this week. 
really interesting draft classes here. I felt like a couple teams did a really nice job. I know there's one team that I think really missed the mark. All right, I'm going to start with the Chicago Bears here. They had a top 10 pick, first round pick with the 10th overall pick. They took Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle out of Tennessee. Now, they traded back from the first overall pick to number nine, then traded nine back to the 10th pick, and they land a plug-and-play day one starter at right tackle. I really like Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright is the best right tackle in this class, period. An outstanding pass blocker. With this move, what I really like about this, Alex, is now second-year pro Braxton Jones should be able to stay on the left side. Now you've got your bookends to protect your young quarterback. This was a crucial draft pick for them, and I think they nailed it. Now, the way this team moved back twice and still picked in the top 10 and land a marquee tackle, which was, like I said, their biggest need, I think this was great work by GM Ryan Poles. And remember, they traded down from one and added pick number 61 plus a 2024 first rounder a 2025 second rounder and wide receiver DJ Moore from the Panthers. So just incredible work all the way around for Ryan Poles, the way he maneuvered this draft board. Now in the second round, the the 53rd pick, they took Jervon Dexter, the defensive tackle from Florida. Dexter has good NFL size, a NFL ready frame. He's got nice athletic traits for a defensive tackle. I think he's a guy that can play in a two-gap system. He slides through gaps. He knows how to use his length. Not the most explosive player, but I think this is a guy that was really reliable at Florida, has a nice bull rush, a nice swim move as far as his pass rushing ability. He's a solid player. I don't think he was necessarily worthy of a second-round pick. I thought this was a guy that was maybe more of a third or fourth-round pick. Now, this class was really thin at defensive tackle, and they needed help up front. So maybe that's why he went a little earlier than expected. I don't love the pick. I like it. Like I said, it felt like a little bit of a reach, but I understand the thinking there. Now, also in the second round, just a few picks later, they took Tyreek Stevenson, the cornerback from Miami. This guy is six feet tall, 198 pounds, almost 33-inch arms, ran a 4.45 40-yard dash. Those are nice numbers. I mean, a big cornerback, good size, length. He's a strong player. Now, they needed to add a third quality corner, and with Stevenson, they get a player that should compete for a starting spot as a rookie. So I like this pick. Explosive athletic ability, shows nice footwork, good closing speed. He can be a press cornerback with the size He's a guy that I think can use that size to really push receivers off their routes. Now, he might be a guy that could also play some strong safety. I wouldn't be shocked if at some point they move him to that position, but just a really good player, really solid all-around player that they can add to the secondary. Now, they also took running back Rashawn Johnson out of Texas. Now, this was the backup for Bijan Robinson and probably would have started at most other schools. I mean, this is a great value pick for them in the fourth round. Also in the fourth round, they took Tyler Scott. 
a slot wide receiver, but this is a guy that really plays like a running back. I mean, once he gets the ball in his hands, he's a physical runner for his size. I like his demeanor and his toughness. And they also drafted linebacker Noah Sewell from Oregon. He was one of your sleepers, Alex, a guy that you really liked in this draft, a tackling machine in college, big physical downhill thumper. I think that was also good value in the fifth round. When you factor in the moves that they made to acquire more picks, getting some guys at key positions that they needed for this team that really has a lot of holes. So I like that strategy of just getting a lot of picks and getting guys who can help this roster right away. They acquired 10 picks total in this draft. I like what Ryan Poles did. I like what he's building with the Bears. I'm going to give him an A, Alex. Wow. Okay. I was, hmm. An A. You know what? I really do like what Ryan Poles has been doing this year. I mean, I think we mentioned it just a moment ago on what he's been able to do and how he's been able to look in building this team and craft it around what he's doing with Justin Fields and kind of rebuilding this defense. I'm spot on with you with Darnell Wright. We talked about it a moment ago, how if they finally can fix this offensive line and give this this kid some time in Justin Fields, we can actually perhaps start some of the see, to see some of the things that we saw at Ohio State and why he was drafted where he was drafted. Now, Javon Dexter, here's the thing with Javon Dexter, and, we, and this is probably a common thing with a lot of players. Players that can really be good, but they lack the motor. And you, as you know, I'm very high on people. I will take a guy with a higher motor with less skill as opposed to a guy with more skill and a low motor simply because you should. this is a game you have to be motivated to play at all times. You can't dog it. So I like Javon Dexter. I think he can be, I don't want to say a top tier guy, but I think he can be a solid contributing starter. I just need him to get his motor going sooner. Tyreek Stevenson, I was a little bit wary here at two at 25. I'm sorry, in the second round at 25, I was kind of looking around to see who might have been a good pick if there was anybody else there that they might have been able to go on. And I saw and I looked and I said, okay, well, there's Osiris Torrance and there's also DJ Turner. Well, we knew cornerback was deep here, but I also, again, still looking at that offensive line. I wanted them to maybe perhaps go deeper into that offensive line, but I would assume that they think they're at a good space right now. Zach Pickens, I like that pick. I kind of have him and and Javante close to each other, but not right next to each other, but I do have them closer to. So to your point earlier, I wouldn't have thought that Javon would have been in the second round. I thought he would have been in probably more of a third or fourth rounder. But they did go back and pick up another defensive tackle who I think is actually, from my perspective, will end up starting over him. Rashawn Johnson, we know they let David Montgomery go. I do like this running back. I think he's going to be able to get on the field right away and actually make some positive plays. So I do, I'd like that pick a lot. And then you have uh, Tyler Scott, Terrell Smith, Travis Bell, Kendall Williams, and I think a couple of guys are basically going to be a special team star. But yes, Noel Sewell. I like Noel Sewell. I think he's going to be able to, to get on the field, perhaps in nickel situations, depending on how they run their defense because of his speed. I think he's going to, he's going to be able to get on the field a lot sooner than a lot of people think because as these tight ends are being split out wide, he can cover tight ends. Watch out for him. I know they did move on from Roquan Smith. I'm not saying he's Roquan Smith, but this is another guy that I think you got to steal within great value in the fifth round that can grow into being a starter if he's coached up properly. But I w- I'll say this. I'll probably go on the B plus end, not an A, but I can see where you went 
in terms of in terms of the it's just that I didn't really like the Javon Dexter pick so high. I thought they could have gone in a different direction, like I said. But overall, I think Ryan Poles, from an offseason standpoint, overall gets an A. You know, this is just the draft we're talking about, but everything else he's done, he's just been really spot on. You, you know what, Alex? So mm-hmm. I think part of that is baked into my grade here because part of what I loved about this draft class for, for them was I thought they hit on a lot of key players at key positions, but just the way he maneuvered the board and acquired so many picks. Because right. we, we know these guys, GMs, they're going to miss on guys, but you got to get at bats, right? You got to get as many cracks at it as possible if you're going to have success, if you're going to find players. And with a team and a roster like this that has a lot of holes, I liked his approach moving back and acquiring a ton of picks just to try to fill some of these holes, finding guys, like you said, that can be contributors. Maybe not all these guys are stars, but I think a lot of these guys will be contributors, whether it's starting or even on the special teams level. I think that was part of the reason I like what he did. Okay, the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the Minnesota Vikings, they only had six picks in this entire draft. They didn't have a second-round pick, but with their first-round pick, they selected Jordan Addison. I like the player. I like adding him to what they have with Justin Jefferson. They did lose Adam Thielen, but I do like that they added a wide receiver. However, I just thought that that defense was in such disarray and they needed so many defensive hits, specifically at cornerback. I just thought that perhaps they should have gone in a different direction. And, you know, with Deontay Banks, Mozzie Smith, Miles Murphy still on the board, still on the board, I thought they could have gone in a different direction. But I do understand, you know, adding this type of receiver along with Justin Jefferson, along with TJ Hawkinson making your offense more formidable. Perhaps there's some thought about what happens when we let go of Dalvin Cook, which is still being bantied about. We're still waiting to see. Uh, June 1st is around the corner. So we're going to get another round of cuts coming. So we'll see those that weren't designated for June 1st, but there could be some that are actually happening on June 1st. And perhaps Dalvin Cook is one of them. So perhaps they thought they should go in this direction. So I did, but I wasn't happy about that pick. Makai Blackman, I will give this kid a lot of credit being that he was at Colorado for four years and then taking a chance and going to USC. He probably increased his draft stock tenfold for at least a third round pick where he was probably coming out of had he stayed at Colorado. We're probably looking at a sixth or seventh or an undrafted free agent. So going to USC, I give this kid a lot of credit for improving his draft stock. And then especially what he did at the combine and on the pro day got him into the third round. So I respect that pick and I respect that player that put in the work and bet on himself. So I like that pick. As I was mentioning before, I thought they should have gone defense, but this is this is a position of need that they really needed. And I'm not mad at Makai Blackman. Jay Ward out of LSU in the fourth round with the 32nd pick. I, I have a lot of questions about Jay Ward because he initially started as a safety. And then last year, last season, he played in the nickel. He, but he's a box safety, and I and I don't know what that looks like in the league. And I and looking at their current depth chart, they have him listed as a nickelback. So that I assume that's what they have wanting to have him play. I just I don't see it. I'm just not sure where he fits in on the NFL level when he's really truly a box safety. And a part of his issue is he cheats a lot by looking into the backfield as a nickelback. You're not going to have that sideline to help protect you. So if you're not paying attention 
these guys, the Hunter Renf- excuse me, the Hunter Renfro's, the Jerry Judys, they're going to be five yards away from you before you realize that they've gone left, right, or even gone up the seam if you're not paying attention. So I, I wasn't too keen on this pick, even though I know they perhaps may have been looking for a Harrison Smith replacement as Harrison Smith is about, I think he's about, I think he's going to be 35 this year. So I wasn't sure about that, about that pick. They did go back to back with uh, LSU with Jacqueline Roy. Again, another player that I'm not sure about, but a, a play that you can coach up. And then there are other two picks, Jaron Hall out of BYU QB and Dwayne McBride. Actually, I like Dwayne McBride. Um, he could, he could be, a, I don't want to say he's a sleeper pick, but I think you're going to see a lot from him this season, especially on third down. I think you're going to see a few things that he's capable of doing if they know how to get him on the field and utilize his speed and agility. So I'm not too mad at that. But overall, I gave them a C plus because I do like Jordan Addison and I do feel that they got something special. I don't want to say special, but I I think they got a solid player in Makai Blackman. But I just feel that they missed on too many things that were needed on that Minnesota defense that they did not hit on and they could have taken care of and there's just so many questions if you've been listening to the previous pods where we've talked about them at length. And we already saw the first domino fall and Harrison being, and, uh, excuse me, Smith being moved. And there's more coming. So I'm, I'm, I'm confused at what, they're, what the thought process is here. That's why I gave them a C. I'm not going to lie, Alex. I'm a little surprised by the C grade. I get what you're saying completely. I think I was a little higher on this class than you were. And I went through my notes here because I wrote down draft needs for each team before the draft. I, ha- I made one for each team in my notes where I kind of look at what each team needed or I felt like they needed the most. The two positions I thought that the Vikings needed the most going into this draft was wide receiver and cornerback. And they addressed both those positions right off the bat. And I like both players. I really like Jordan Addison. Really good player, smooth route runner, a guy that was really productive in college at two different colleges. I think that actually shows the versatility and what type of player he can be, having success with different quarterbacks, different systems. So I'm pretty high on Jordan Addison. Makai Blackman, the cornerback, I think is a good player. He's really aggressive. I think sometimes I can get him in trouble. But he's a guy that's not afraid to come up and hit guys, make tackles. I think he's going to be good as far as in run support. I think he's going to help them out. Jay Ward blocked some kicks, was really a standout on special teams for LSU. He's got some ball skills. He had six interceptions at LSU. So I might be a little higher on him than you are. Roy, the defensive tackle who they took out of LSU, I actually thought that this guy would go a little higher than he did. He fell to the fifth round after really not putting up good numbers at the combine. I'm I'm a little surprised you're as down on them as you are, Alex. I would have thought more of a BB plus type of grade for the Vikings. All right, let's jump to the Detroit Lions. They started by drafting Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs with the 12th overall pick. After trading back from the sixth pick, now we talked about this on our NFL Draft Takeaways episode, and I mentioned it, and I I blasted the lines for this because we talked about it on that episode. If they were targeting a running back, why not take Bajon Robinson at six? Why move out of that pick? I like Gibbs. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player. I think he's a solid player, and I think he'll be a good player in the NFL, but even Gibbs was shocked when he heard his name 
called out at the 12th overall pick, this is a huge reach. I don't think there's any way around it here for the Detroit Lions taking Gibbs at 12. Nobody saw this coming. Very good chance that this guy would have fell to the second round if they hadn't taken him. I like the player. I just don't like where they took him. I don't think that pick made very much sense at all. Now, they also had the 18th overall pick in the first round, and they took Jack Campbell, the linebacker from Iowa, Alex, this pick was even more shocking than Gibbs at 12. I, I I just didn't understand where this pick came from. A physical run stopper in the middle, but he's going to be a liability on third down because he's not very good in coverage. I mean, he's really slow, change of direction in the open field. Now, he's got good vision. He's got good field awareness, but he just isn't good enough as far as an all-around linebacker to be taken this high in the draft. It's I, he's a hard worker. He's dependable. And there's a lot of things you read about him. He's a locker room guy. I get all that, but he has real limitations in his game. And if this was the 1993 NFL draft, not the 2023 NFL draft, I'd love this pick at 18, but linebackers who only defend the run just aren't that valuable in today's NFL. I didn't think he was even a top 50 player, Alex, I thought you could make a strong case that he was probably the third or fourth best inside linebacker in this entire class. How in the world a guy like that goes in the top 20 is crazy to me. There were way better players available. I thought an edge defender at that spot made a lot more sense here for Detroit. So just really baffled by what they did in the first round. Now rounds two and three, I felt like they recovered a little bit. They took tight end Sam Laporta from Iowa he was on my list of my favorite sleepers when we did that episode before the draft. He's an athletic pass-catching tight end. He's versatile. He can flex out or he can play inline. He's a solid blocker. He gives really good effort. He needs to improve his blocking. That is part of his game that I think he needs to work on. But I love the effort and the toughness that he shows. He's a guy that's really tough to tackle once he gets moving with the ball, knows how to use his size and speed to create space. I had him as a sleeper because, well, quite frankly, I didn't think he would go this high. I had a third, maybe fourth round grade on this guy. So maybe a reach even for a player that I like here, Alex. After that, they took Brian Branch with their other second round pick, pick 45. Now, he's my top ranked safety in this class, and I think he was for a lot of people, but this was a really weak safety class. So I think that has to be pointed out here. Now, although he's not the most athletic defensive back, he's an intelligent player who took on a lot of different roles in Alabama's defense. Branch can cover, and he's not afraid to get downhill and make tackles. Really strong player for his size. He shows the ability to identify the run, has a quick reaction. He should start day one for the Lions. So I think that's a really great value pick at 45. Now, they took Hendon Hooker in the third round. Many people thought that he could go in the first round. We weren't the only media outlet that thought it was a real possibility, Alex. There was a lot of people from all over the media that thought this guy had a legit chance to go somewhere in the first round. I think the big red flags for Hendon Hooker were his age at 25 years old and the recent ACL tear. I think knowing that this was a guy that was going to have to have a year to recover, I think teams just wouldn't be wanting to get a guy who wouldn't be ready to start 
at least until age 26 at that point, which obviously isn't ideal for NFL teams wanting a young quarterback to build around. So I think those two things really played against him here. Now, we also only saw him have really high-level success at Tennessee, which if you if you watch what Tennessee does and what this offense does, it's a very quarterback-friendly college-style offense. They set up a lot of easy reads. So I think a lot of GMs and scouts looked at that and said, okay, he's going to have to learn an NFL system. It's It might be a bigger learning curve than people realize early in the process. Now, he's got an NFL arm, and he's got athletic ability. He can be a threat with his legs. He's poised. I love watching his tape because he stares down the barrel, even with pressure in his face, and lets it rip. He has the talent to become a starter in this league. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I also understand why he might have slid to the third round. But in the third round for the Lions, this is great value because you're getting a guy that I think has a lot of potential to maybe take over for Goff at some point. Now, defensive end was a big need for the Lions. Like I just mentioned, when I was writing down needs for each team going into the draft, I circled defensive end, and the Lions didn't even address it at all in this entire draft. That didn't make sense. Gibbs and Jack and Jack Campbell in the first round didn't make sense. They had two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds. Alex, they had a chance to really load up on young talent, and for the most part, they reached for guys. They missed on key positions of need. If not for that day two where they ended up getting some players that I liked, Branch, Laporta, and Hooker, I think those were you know nice, solid picks for this team. If it wasn't for that day two, Alex, I'd probably be giving this team an F. But because of that, I'm going to upgrade it to a D. But I was really unimpressed with what the Lions did. We spoke about this as the first big what-the-hell moment in the draft when they traded back when they had the opportunity to get the best running back number one on the board and they took at least for if we just go by our draft grades took the third best because i had zach charbonnet rated ahead of him so that was the first thing so okay if you wanted to trade back you didn't want to go with uh Bijan, fine but to your point to pass on jalen carter christian gonzalez and lucas to pass on those three guys when you needed that, I mean, to pair along with Aiden Hutchinson, you had an opportunity to get one of these premier defensive backs that says, okay, well, let's, we perhaps missed on Jeff Okuda, or rather he came on too late because of injury and so on and so forth. And we you traded him. So that was a position of need as well, as well as a need to build on what you had with James Houston out from Jackson State, who gave you eight sacks and a special pass rusher role. But to add somebody like Lucas Van Ness to a team with Aiden Hutchinson or even to add Jalen Carter in the middle would have done wonders for this team up front while you still are looking to fix your second and third tier defenders and at the linebacker and cornerback. So that's a complete miss for me. I feel the same thing about Jack Campbell. I'm confused. I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm confused. GMs make picks like this when they. I feel like they out. They feel like they outsmarted themselves. I don't. This is another one I don't understand. I don't like the pick, but let's see who else was there. When you're coming into the season, if I'm not mistaken, their wide receiver is suspended for the first six and or eight games. Why not add to the offense with that second pick as well? Or since you went running back with that first pick, why not go and get a def- why not go and get a defender? I mean, we can talk about Kalaja Kansi, we can talk about Deontay Banks, 
whatever you want to talk about. I mean, there were so many players there that you could have gotten so much more value. So, I mean, what the whiff that you had on these first two picks is Raider like, sorry, Raider fans, but it's true. <laughs> it, it was Raider like, so I'm confused on how you miss with two high draft picks and just, I mean, miss on both that, that I, I, I'm confused. Sam LaPorter, to your point, I do like the player. I just don't like the player at where they picked him, especially with my, with Mayer still on the, of still available. And you know how we both feel about Mayer. We feel that he was the best all around tight end in the game. Brian Branch. Now, this is something I do like with Brian Branch. And I know that he's gotten the comp and it's probably because they both went to Alabama. He's gotten the Minka tag and he's gotten the Minka tag. When I look at the tape, he is not the athlete or player that Minka is, but he is the leader and he has the intelligence and the awareness of Minka. So I think I do like the pick. They had to address the defensive backfield in some way, shape, or form, and they addressed it here. Hendon Hooker, I don't really, I I think I beat Hendon Hooker to death in terms of what I feel about this player. He was third on my big board for quarterbacks, ahead of Will Levis, ahead of Anthony Richardson. I do understand the age, but I'm not looking at age. I'm looking at performance and what I think he projects to in the league. And I'll say this again, this is not the NBA. This is the NFL where you don't need to have this young guy. We got to get him while they're young. No, it's okay to bring in a guy that put in the work that season that, that you can have on stash in a sense because you're still going to have to figure out what you want to do with Jared Goff if you're going to want to extend him in another year or so. And now is able to move forward with a quote-unquote possible quarterback and waiting in Hendon Hooker. So I love that pick across the board. You know what? You're right. If once you get to two, the the second and third round, you can sit there and say, you know, you saved yourself from an, from an F, but I'm going to go with a D plus because you just, I'm sorry, you cannot miss like that with those two first round picks like that. That that's a fireable offense to me. The green Bay Packers with their first pick, they drafted one of my favorite, favorite, favorite players in this draft, Lucas Van Ness. Now, because I know that they run a 3-4, the first thing I thought about was, ah, I don't know if he can play that linebacker position. But I, I went back and I had to look at some tape, and then I looked at the his 40 time. With a 4-5-8, I'm like, okay, you know, he can actually play linebacker because he does have the speed to do to run that concept that they run there in Green Bay. But I love this pick. He should, as far as I'm concerned, he, he should have been a top 10 pick. I'm looking at U-line. I'm, excuse me, a top 12 pick. I'm looking at U-lines. But this was my guy, number one, one of the bullet that I thought was one of the biggest sleepers in this draft. And I love this pick. Lucas Musgrave, I mean, they, I'll say this about the Packers. They're very self-aware. They know who they are. I mean, Lucas Musgrave, the, the nephew of Bill Musgrave, for those who are aware of the offensive coordinator, Bill Musgrave, this guy is another quintessential Packer pick. He's going to come in. He's a hard worker. He knows where he's supposed to be. He's going to be where he's supposed to be when the ball is thrown. And he's also an inline blocker as well. Jaden Reed from Michigan State. I'm, I'm not, I don't like the size as much, but they did need a slot to come in. And this is what I see in Jaden Reed, that they have a slot guy that can now come in and be in between Christian Watson and Romeo and Romeo Dobbs as the projected starters and slide in at that slot receiver, at that slot receiver spot and do some things. He's decent. 
He can definitely beat coverage in terms of where he'll be playing in the slot, not necessarily on the outside, but if you have him in the slot, he's going to be able to, to use his quick feet to get some separation. He just needs to make sure that he's holding onto the ball, that he catches the ball and is not running before he catches the ball. So I like I like that pick for them. And if, coming from Michigan State, he's going to fit right in. Here's another guy that I knew I still know nothing about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. I'm a little bit confused here. I thought it was high, especially when I get these players that I can't find a lot of tape on from South. He's from, he's from South Dakota state and in the third round, I'm like, wow, like I kind of clenched a little bit. And I said, well, you know, and what I do is, is I always go back and I say, well, who else was available at that point in time? And then I see Josh Downs. I see, I see day Hanley inside linebacker who I love as well. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit, I'm, I'm tightening up a little bit when I see them take that, make that pick that high, especially if it's, a, if it's a player that I can't find. But you know what? This is probably another typical Green Bay player that they drafted. Same as what they did in the fourth round with Colby Wooden, another typical Green Bay player that's going to fit right in and be able to hit, play behind all the players, Kenny Clark and those on that line that can rotate in and tell. Because what one thing that we know about Green Bay, they have to draft well. It's not they they need they have to draft well because they do not attract free agents or big time free agents. So they have to make sure when they draft people and they are drafting people that fit exactly what they do. And Colby Wooden is one of those players as well. Sean Clifford, a quarterback, I think that was just in the fifth round. I just think that they're just doing what Green Bay has always done. They always draft late round quarterbacks. So this is just typical of simply of what they do. Most of everybody else that, that I looked at, to me, came off more as a special teams player. So all in all, I gave the Packers an A because I love what they, excuse me, I gave them a B plus because I love what they did in the first round. I do like what they did in the second round. Uh, as they say, a young quarterback's best friend is a tight end. They did double up on them. I don't know enough about Tucker Craft, so I'm not going to penalize them for that. I do like Jaden Reed in the slot, and I like Kobe when I think those are quintessential, typical Green Bay Packer picks. I really like what Green Bay did, Alex. I'm with you. Lucas Van Ness, pick 13, just a great player. A, a guy that, we, like we talked about when we were analyzing his game, we haven't seen his best football yet, and that's scary because the guy really flashed big-time talent at Iowa. I think once we see the player that he can become, it might not even be year one. It might be year two, year three. I think he's going to develop into a really, really good player Luke Musgrave, the tight end, a guy I'm familiar with, played at Oregon State. Obviously, I live out here in the Pacific Northwest. I saw him play more than a handful of times. I think he's going to be a really good flex tight end, a guy that didn't get utilized much at Oregon State because of the offense they run. It's more of a power run game. They don't throw the ball a lot. So he didn't really put up the, the big-time stats or the things that you're looking for. But tight end is a unique position where we've seen historically guys who have success at the next level is usually more based on traits than production. And because a lot of college offenses don't utilize their tight ends, we see these guys that are big, athletic, move well, have good hands. Maybe they didn't put up the big numbers, but then they become stars at the next level. I think Luke Musgrave kind of fits into that mold of a guy who could be a lot better pro than he was college player. I really like Jaden Reed, the wide receiver out of Michigan State. This was a guy 
that I almost put on my sleeper list because I really like his game. He's a Swiss Army knife, do-it-all type of wide receiver. I mean, just a guy that you can use in so many different ways. He's also going to add value as a kickoff and punt returner. I love guys who add value as special teams players. Tucker Craft, I'm with you, a guy that hard to find tape on. Most of my analysis on him is going to be based off of things that I'm reading, unfortunately. But from what I've from what I've read about this kid is that he's just a big, tough kid and a good blocker, a good all-around tight end. I think I see what they're doing here. I think Tucker Craft is going to be more of their inline blocking tight end who maybe moves the chains from time to time. And I think Musgrave is going to be more of their flex tight end, who's going to be more of their seam buster and a guy who's going to be more of a downfield threat for them. I see the philosophy. I see the vision for the Packers. And when you first said A, I was with you because I think this is an A class. I think B plus is just fine, but I'm I'm high on this class. I think the Packers hit it out of the park. You know what? With what you just said about Tucker Craft, I could probably move it to an A because I completely forgot they let Mercedes Lewis go, and that was their inline blocker. And if that's the role that he's going to fill, that makes perfect sense. I that, you know what? I can give them a based on that because I was looking at that. I was like, I don't, I don't kind of know enough about him. And I was like, well, they have Mercedes Lewis there, but I just realized actually he is no longer there. So that draft pick actually makes a lot of sense. I'm just not sure is that high. That's the thing that probably makes me clench my fist a little bit. Like I don't know that high. That's kind of high. Like I said, hard to find tape on him, but from what I read, it looks like it could be a really good fit. Guys, before we get out of here, though, I mentioned it last episode. I want to mention it again before we leave. If you guys want to stay up to date with everything Pint Glass Football, pintglassfootball.com is obviously a home base for us. Go there and check out our new free newsletter because we're going to be delivering exclusive content that you can only get at the newsletter directly to your inbox. So be sure to go to pintglassfootball.com, sign up for the newsletter. Not only will you never miss an episode, but you'll get exclusive content and some really cool stuff that we're doing over there. So sign up today. But like I said, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Before I go, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at The Tailgate Foodie for sponsoring today's episode. Check them out at thetailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.